Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. We are currently accepting submissions for our summer edition and are waiving the $5 submittal fee. The deadline to submit your works is May 28, 2021. After the reading, please join me and co-host Melissa Collings when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today's story is Le Petit, Le Grand and Le Mal, written by Melissa LaDuke and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Le Petit, Le Grand, and Le Mal by Melissa LeDuc. There is a fishbowl in my therapist's office. Not really a fishbowl. It is a perfect aquatic environment sprouting a floating flower. I believe it is the Zen Aquatic Garden Kit that comes from Target. I have seen it online for only $39.99. I want one. Have for a while now. I like the perfect divisions of hemispheres, water below, green life above, blackish goldfish with bird-like plumes gently fanning itself as if it didn't need anything else for life. There is a drowned Buddha statue sitting in a yoga pose with his head bowed and eyes closed. He is smiling in his underwater sleep, which I love. The pebbles around the cross-legged gold figure are aqua blue and uniform in size. It speaks peace. Perhaps artificial, but peace. All of this in a crystal ball, with a lotus flower praying above the surface. It is my goal. The fish, I mean. The floating, the perfect hemispheres, the balance. I want all that. My therapist says I am getting there. It takes time, she says, but I am getting there. My therapist also told me it would help to write things down. At first, I thought she meant for me to flesh out ideas and wrestle and come to grips by penning fears and failures that plagued my mind. I was ready for that. I mean, I have a lot of journals, flowery ones and leathery ones, small pocket size and purse size ones filled with famous quotes and guiding questions to help reflect and pause. Nevertheless, I dropped my eyes in hesitation and began to protest, doubting the value of what sounded like lost time. But she refined her direction. Write it all out. Put it all on paper and see if it might help for you to let it go. All of it? I questioned. What do you mean, all of it? When she answered with a flourish of her hands, a casual wink, and all the things. I cringed right there because I do not like this phrase that women in their 40s keep flippantly tossing into the air, as if our lives did not have specificity. I hear it at my daughter's soccer games, and I hear it in the copy room at work. I used this phrase myself when I scooped up a semi-stale cookie left on the counter from last week's parent-teacher conferences. I shrugged at my colleague standing next to me, wondering why I have to eat every chocolate chip cookie that looks at me. My colleague did not blame me. It was lonely there on the plate. It needed you. I know. All the cookies. Love them all. And in two bites, I had gobbled all but the crumbs stuck on my cardigan. So when she, my therapist, said, All the things, I cringed. But she followed up nicely, the way you should round out an argument, with three solid points wrapped in a parallel thesis. Opinion-based, but suggesting support will follow. Write things down. It can help clear your mind, regain focus, and move forward. 
It does not need to become the thoughts you dwell on. Rather, it should be the thoughts you would like to discard. I accepted her almost perfect thesis. All the things. Not the painful past, but the present. When thoughts start flying at you and you feel you might go under, when you are gasping for air, like you said, try grabbing a pencil. Or you could speak into your phone. Just hit that memo button and state your thoughts and breathe. Then see if you can let go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Okay. We will see if you can recognize a pattern. Maybe the things overwhelming you so much is really just one thing. Maybe we can get at it better if we watch for patterns and then see how the items relate. Worth a shot, I say. Before leaving her office, I touch the fishbowl with my finger. When my energy touches the glass, the fish does a perfect 360-degree spin. His tail unfurls and beckons, like a flag in summer. It is beautiful. Part of me wishes I could take the fish with me, like just stick my hand straight in the bowl and grasp ever so gently the whole wet slimy thing and put it in my pocket and bring it home. Of course I don't, but I am just saying, a part of me is thinking all the fishes. So the next morning, I find a small journal and fondle the attached braided bookmark. I open the journal to write down the first thoughts of the day, the ones I need to remember to let go. I smooth my hand over the clean white pages, pressing into the crease, urging it toward certainty. I consider closing the book to keep it perfect for just a little longer, but with the students focused to task, I push words from my brain to my green ink joy pen, like someone striving to unclog a drain. I purge my thoughts from bottom up, trying to spit out the worst parts of me. I hate getting dressed. I have nothing to wear. Why, oh why, have skinny jeans been a thing for so long? And why do teenagers get to dictate fashion trends? Maybe it is me. Shit. What if I am one of those teachers who dresses like she is a teenager even though she is 40? Do I? It's just, I have a problem with my ankles. I don't understand where the pants should end and what shoe should go with each ankle length. My daughter says, it's fine, mom. Whatever you're wearing is fine. Cool kids wear whatever they want. I begin to protest until I see her wink, insinuating that I... Indeed, I'm one of the cool kids. It feels good to exhale, letting thoughts go that I do not need to carry. I am enjoying the cleanse until I realize I like that thought about my daughter and wondered if maybe I don't want to discard it. I read it again and cherish her words as she reminds me I am valuable. In a frustrated attempt to erase and start over, I forget my ink joy is not a pencil and therefore cannot be erased, so my scratch makes a slight tear in the paper. I fight the urge to tear the whole page out, but consider my therapist might give better advice if she has all the drafts. Plus, it would show her I am not crazy, but actually a good mom if my 14-year-old daughter knows how to parent already. I keep it. At school, my inbox unfolds with a screen full of unread messages. I quickly scan and delete through the pile and only have two notes to jot down in my little notebook. I click the X in the corner of the screen and close the email window, feeling steady when it zips shut so tightly. Number one, Dylan's mom just passed away from cancer. The viewing is this Friday. I ache for him. Number two, Jessica has left for the next six weeks. She is going to Florida for a treatment because she has an eating disorder. Gather all her work and send it to the office. Jessica is tall and thin. I am ashamedly jealous of her legs and the idea that she gets to go away for six weeks. 
That would be gross of me to say out loud, which is why I wrote it. I already like this exercise. I close the journal and print the test I made last night. Three-page test. 95 copies. Good to go. This will ensure silence for at least 20 minutes. Here is a tip I tell young teachers. Always make your test at least three pages. There is just something in a staple which makes students dig in a little bit more and really try on a test. There is authenticity. Plus, it decreases the opportunity to cheat by a bit because you might be on a different page. It is just a theory, but I go with it. By lunchtime, I have 62 tests to grade and several more entries in the journal. I stop numbering the entries for sake of time, but love the feeling that someone else might read this and take note of these children's lives and their importance. I feel a sense of pride in knowing I know my kids. Tucking my journal under my arm, I bring it to the copy room during lunch. I know this exercise is supposed to be personal, but for some reason, I have to fight the urge not to share. Luckily, by the time I make it to the copy room, I only have 17 minutes for lunch anyway. I hide my journal under my tests and realize that sharing was a dumb idea. Deshaun needs nutrition. Why does he always have Doritos for breakfast? Bring apples and bananas. Robert is still hiding things behind the bookshelf. I am afraid to see what it is. Tori has lice. I can see them. I can literally see them jumping. I send her to the nurse and the nurse sends her back. Yes, lice, she says. Uh, okay, so stay in my room? I am tired of people pushing their problems into my classroom and my microspace without paying me well. I literally just diagnosed an infestation and received no compensation for it. Just an increased gross factor for my daily life. It reminds me of when the school system voted that we should have seven classes a day instead of six. I received an extra class period for which I had to plan 35 extra names to remember, 35 extra papers to grade, and no pay raise for it. Just simply this. Do more with less. Sure, whatever. I see myself digress and wonder if it is the point of this writing assignment or if I am doing it wrong. I continue because I am not done. Jessica smells like cat pee, which makes me want to vomit. I want to stop monitoring that corner of the room due to the cat pee and lice, but I know those are the two lovelies who are close to failing and who need my attention. And love? I wander back in that direction and suggest that they discuss their answers as a team. There, they can help each other. Oh my gosh, am I a bitch? It's like when I let my inner voice out, it is all the shitty things I never want to say and I usually pretend I don't even feel. I don't want to be like this. Refocus. Anna needs work for next week because she is going to Disney with her family. Lucky her. Jamal is absent for the third day in a row and I need to tell a counselor. A few kids are entering the room and they see me scribbling feverishly. I look up and nod, pretending I am checking attendance. Then I add Anna P., Chris, and Alexander, with nothing else. The bell is about to ring, and I am sure I will remember what they need because, frankly, it's my job. During my ritual restroom break at 1.27, I have time to open the journal and notice the pattern. It is people. Students. Too many students. Too many names. I decide I am kind of proud for discovering my pattern while I'm in the teacher's restroom. And, it should be noted, on the first day of the exercise... It suggests a certain ability to multitask, of which only a high school teacher would be proud. 
In fact, many an insightful thought has sprung from my four-wall sanctuary of silence. There are solid white bricks and no decorations at all in this restroom, but there is a quote of a Bible verse right above the soap dispenser. Not in a frame or anything, just a piece of paper torn from another worn-out teacher's journal with the phrase, Peace, my child. I am with you in every moment. It has been tucked behind the dispenser for at least a year. I remember being super glad when I returned from summer break and saw the paper had not been removed. I think the teacher who put it there quit last year, but part of the beauty of the note is not knowing where it came from. Michelle, Jared, Philip. I head down to my IEP meeting with a swing in my step, thinking about how my therapist will be proud of me solving the challenge and all. The conference room is smaller than it should be, but we fit a parent, a student named Stephanie, the school nurse, and two principals. I am not sure if I have been summoned here about grades or behavior, but I bring my grade book, bulging, with disorganized stacks from my desk I meant to sort this morning. The room smells of yesterday's onions, exuding from the undumped garbage can in the corner. I am slightly envious of the lunch wrapper waste, which suggests time to at least order out. I wonder if the others do not smell it, or if we are all just pretending the room doesn't stink. I smile with a practiced zen calm and note that this table needs a centerpiece. I consider buying the counselors an aquatic zen environment with a fish and some plug-in glade. I wonder about global warming for a minute, and if fish affect the ozone in any possible way, or if they simply receive side effects. The nurse clears her throat and begins the meeting, while the principals turn their walkie-talkies off to mute the fuzz and interruptions. I wonder what my voice would sound like through the bubbles if we did have a fishbowl here. I pick up a pen and start taking notes. For the meeting, I mean. Apparently, this student has a physical condition which requires some special requests, and I was the teacher asked to be present to sign off on the document. In other words, it is my planning period, and I am free. I nod and write special request at the top of my page and prepare to bullet the items of concern below. The nurse explains to me what epilepsy is and asks if I am aware of grand and petite mal seizures. I nod, having watched enough medical television shows to know, but then she says, To help stop the seizures, the student has an implanted vagus nerve stimulator in her chest. Are you aware of what this is? I shake my head and realize everyone else at the meeting had already been informed of the forthcoming events. I glance at the clock to see if I am late. I am not. When time unfreezes and I realize it is my turn to speak, I ask, Could you please repeat that? A vagus nerve stimulator. It delivers nerve therapy through a generator in her chest that provides stimulation on its own. Stephanie is fully capable of monitoring her condition, and she knows when the seizures are about to happen. I glance at the 14-year-old and doubt her medical expertise, but she is smiling. What this means in the classroom is when Stephanie is about to have a seizure, she may need to be stimulated by the magnet she wears on her wrist. She will raise her hand or get your attention. If she does this, then call me, and I will send a wheelchair to your room. Ask the rest of the class to put their heads down while you wait. I am still back at the word generator, which conjures Frankenstein-like images, but a glance at Stephanie and I only see teenager. I can't help but think of the burden she seems to be carrying so well. I am proud of Stephanie. I make a mental note to make her student of the day. I want to hug her but I pull myself back to the pool I am in and hate feeling like I am the only one swimming. I remind myself I have two master's degrees and 20 years experience. 
Plus, I am a mother. I can do this. Um, okay. So what do I do while, I mean, if she actually has the seizure before you arrive? She usually has five minutes or so where she can tell something might happen. You will want to cushion her head and make space around her. But mostly, wait for me to arrive. I should be there quite quickly. I feel like this meeting needs a thesis. I jump in to redirect. Okay, so if she does have a seizure, should I lay her on the ground? Please explain the magnet to me. I see she has a bracelet on that must house the magnet. Yes, you can lay her on the ground. You may want to swipe the magnet across her chest and count to 1-1001. It will give her heart a little shock. If you need to repeat, you may do it again. Okay, I say, but I am feeling like this training is not near as thorough as the suicide prevention and infectious disease training we do every year. A magnet to her heart. But we will be on our way, finishes the nurse as if she has closed the case. I continue with a few follow-up questions. Okay, should she be on her side? Yes, you can roll her on her side. Stephanie was still smiling. She interjected that usually she just stays in her seat. I nod and am relieved, I think. If she tells you she had a grand mall seizure, then you should know. In my head, I think all the things. I should know all the things with a sarcastic flair and a wink. The school nurse straightens her institutional frock and passes me a paper with a bulleted list of details as she sees my focus drifting. The room seems to undulate, and I cannot find my notebook. I move my stack of papers in my gradebook as I readjust. I am unfurling, but not at all like a flag or a goldfish would. Wait, will I get shocked too, or just her? Just her. I feel myself wanting to have a way to review this information. So, wait, where do I move her hand to? This conversation is just to inform you of the patient's special request. It isn't to alarm you. The seizures have been under control for quite some time now. When was the last time she had one? I pick up my pen and make my first bulleted note, pulling my professionalism back together. I wish I was wearing a blazer. Her parents shocked to life right then and entered the conversation telling me it is rare and usually happens every few years. When it does happen, though, it may happen a few times in a row, like a little window of rain during an otherwise sunny period. I feel like I am swimming in fast circles as they continue on with information. I try to determine how many years she might be in my classroom since I am the only French teacher and calculate the length of time since her last episode. I factor in the kind of luck I have been having recently and figure it is likely to happen at some point in my classroom. I interrupt. What about her other teachers? Do they know this? My principal assures me. You are the representing teacher needed to sign off the document, but the others will receive an email. Okay. I sign the paper, wondering if it means I am the one who could be sued or the one who could not be sued. I shake hands and extricate myself from the conference room. I swing by the bathroom before returning to class. There is a perpetual heavy lilac potpourri scent. It almost suffocates me, but the white walls offer a space to sigh without judgment. I take a moment to pause in the mirror. I forget to write Stephanie's name in my journal. At this point, I know I will never return to my therapist. A teacher does not have time for self-actualization if she is focusing on survival. It is Maslow's hierarchy. We learn this in ED 101, survival before thrival. 
Plus, her office is far away and the traffic is awful because I can only get appointments during rush hour. My therapist was nice, but if it causes anxiety to just get to her office, then it is probably better to just not go. Plus, I think I was doing the assignment wrong. I know I need to get back to my classroom, but I want the chance to unravel. I search my reflection for signs that I already have. Imagining I have a nerve stimulator in my own chest, I lift two hands to my sternum. I pump rhythmically three times, knowing it is not the direction I received from the nurse a minute ago. I fake a few epileptic convulsions in my reflection and begin to wave a hand right over my heart. But I give up the resuscitation to clench my fist and let out a silent but mouth-wide-open scream. The walls, after all, may be white, but they are not soundproof. In a final gesture of release and rebellion, I pick up a new roll of toilet paper and throw it at the door as hard as I can. With a thud, it flops to the tile. It is still wrapped in its hygienic paper, so it doesn't even come unrolled. I am about to try it again from further away when another teacher knocks at the door. So much for my moment of release. I quickly flush and place the new roll of toilet paper back on the handicap safety bar. I walk down the hall, straightening my skirt. When I get to my room, I shove the rosy journal in the bottom of my desk behind the smiley stickers I never use. That night at home, while propped up in bed, I Google petite and grand mal seizures. I am shocked to find there are some other side effects I should have been informed of before signing the document. Among other things, Wikipedia lists screaming out and loss of bladder control as two possible and common results. I feel angry at the nurse. She did not tell me all the things. A few more clicks and I discover a link between screen time and seizures. I follow the links and end up contemplating the likeliness of adult-onset epilepsy. I consider purchasing a new nasal spray just to have on hand that studies show is effective in seizure recovery. I draft an email to the nurse informing her of my discovery and am about to hit send when I realize it is past midnight. I force myself to set down my phone and roll over in my bed. I dream of a goldfish trapped in the roots of a flower in its aquatic environment. The goldfish screams from the bowl, and although it is a muted cry, I can hear it. Suddenly, my principal is giving me paper after paper to sign, and I try to interrupt because I can see my goldfish needs me. I try to tell my principal, but he is not hearing me. Then the school nurse is there, and she is talking to me, but I cannot get my voice to be heard. My fish keeps making noises only I can hear. I wake up with a sweat and the thought that my goldfish has drowned. Only before I have a chance to tell my husband, I realize fish cannot drown. I am comforted enough to get out of bed and begin another day. A few nights later, I dream of the fish again. Only this time, I am unpacking the fishbowl from a box. I am in my therapist's office, behind the desk as if it is my office, and I am apparently moving in. I open the box and am pulling out the bowl. I remove the items inside and set them in neat piles on my desk. Aqua blue stones, drowned Buddha. I pull the flowering lotus and its roots from the tank, and it goes limp in my hands. I carefully lay it down on my desk, aware of the need to preserve life. Then I reach for the fish. I hold him, cold and wet in my hand. But I look on my desk and do not know where to place the fish. For the rest of the dream, I am searching for a place to put the fish while it gasps in my hands. It never occurs to me in my dream to place it back exactly where it belongs, in the water. When awake, there is an easy fix, a clear right answer. But in the bubble of the dream, I am doing everything wrong. My intelligence comfort me as I rise to begin the day. I know I am better than the bubbles.
Not even three weeks later, I am at the whiteboard conjugating verbs. Respirer, to breathe. In the je form, drop the R. When Stephanie raises her hand, Madame, she says as I make eye contact and nod. I think I just had a seizure. Répétez, s'il vous plaît, I respond magnetically. And then the world speeds up. A seizure? I repeat. And although in my mind I run to the back of the room and begin CPR, I remember I have been trained for this. I ask her if it was grand or mal, and when she says she thinks petite, I ask if I should move her wrist to her heart. She says, sort of trance-like, No, I don't think so. I calmly ask a student to call the front office and send a nurse. The rest of the class, confused by the shift of energy in the room, adheres to my odd request. Please put your heads down at this time. I touch Stephanie's shoulder and worry only slightly about shock. I touch my hand to the back of her head and cradle it, even though she is still setting up. Unsure of myself and my training, I kneel down and feel as if I must stay connected, as if letting her go will cause the seizure to erupt. Still touching her head, I walk in a 180-degree arc to her other side. I kneel again. I am undulating. Her head bounces several times, but I am steady. And then the nurse is there outside my door with a wheelchair. It was all very smooth, like floating time. The nurse asks a few questions, and I reviewed the conversation. She affirmed my neglect to shock her heart was a good decision. We transferred her to the wheelchair, and she was gone from class. When I remembered the other students were present, we talked for a moment about challenges. They were soothed to know I had been trained for such a time as this. I nodded. We continued to conjugate verbs for 15 more minutes. At home, I told my family about the magnetic heart with seizures as we ate dinner in front of the television. My husband assured me I was making more of the situation than was necessary. My daughter thought it sounded like science fiction. Then the conversation covered all my points. As I wiped down the counter and filled the dishwasher, my daughter retold her day. It included names and details that sounded like a muffled song, as if her voice were traveling through water. And in bed, hours later, my heart ached, knowing the part of my day that I could not remember was the names of my daughter's friends. I found myself wishing there was a magnet in her wrist that I could touch to my heart on days like this. The next day was Saturday, and the smell of coffee woke me from a dream, which is impossible because I have a one-cup Keurig, and I am the only one who brews my cup. Nevertheless, it called to me, and I stumbled out of bed. I found my daughter in the kitchen trying to make a cup of hot chocolate. I knew I had heard the Keurig. I helped her refill the water tank and asked her if she thought we should get a goldfish. Like, a real one? Of course a real one. I just thought it would be soothing to have one on the counter here in the kitchen. It would be there when we wake up, every day, swimming. Nah, she said. Then you gotta clean the bowl and we have a lot to do already. True, true, I said. We sipped our warm drinks and leaned on the counter, staring where the bowl might have been. Mom, she said, you just gotta chill. And she started to tell me about a time in running camp. There is a technique I learned. Close your eyes and imagine a river. The river is small, with rocks in it, and fish. It is flowing at a gentle pace, but always flowing. Now imagine a tree along its shore. It is fall and the leaves are orangish brown. With each leaf that falls, give it a thought. I do. Stephanie, Damien, Sama. As the leaves fall, don't count them. Just name them. Justice, Paul, Alyssa.
and then allow your eyes to let them drift by and out of sight as if they move down the river. Alexis, Caitlin, Mitchell, Tyree, and Jamal. Allow the water and the leaves to flow. The banks of the river are friendly with life and a breeze welcomes the movement. I like the exercise even more than the goldfish. It is organic more than it is zen. I am not drowning, not even a bit. I hug my child and then I whisper her name, but this time I draw the leaf to my heart and hold it there as if magnetic. You've just listened to Les Petites, Les Grandes, and Les Mal by Melissa LaDuke. And we have Melissa on the show today to talk about the piece and writing in general. So welcome to the show, Melissa. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, great. We're so happy to have you on. So thank you. Um, first things first, just give us a little background about yourself. Sure. Um, I have been teaching in the classroom for oh, 23 years or so now. And we always start with our jobs, but I guess my true identity is uh, I live on a farm and in a small town in Tennessee, and I have twin daughters, and my husband and I um, are really, really happy to be living on a farm. We've uh, moved out here after many years in a suburban cul-de-sac, and Mm -hmm. now we have some acreage, and we're horse boarders, so we're a boarding facility. We have horses and animals everywhere that I found out I was afraid of after I moved out here. <laughs> but uh, my daughters are 15 and they help a lot on the farm. And But me, I wake up in the mornings and head to work to, to teach. So I That's teach great. English and yeah. French. Mm-hmm. What uh, grades are you teaching? High school. Uh, always okay. in the high school classroom. So, yeah. Terrific. Oh, very Perfect. neat. Well, th- this piece feels like it's an insight into the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a teacher. Yes. Did a particular incident inspire this piece, or where were you when you thought, I want to write this? Um, So it wasn't, I guess, in the moment that it happened. I guess years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I did have one student who had um, a magnetic thing with her heart that I never understood at the time, Uh, but I did some research to to figure it out. But but in the moment, I didn't write that. I really wrote this piece the first week when we were off for the COVID break. And oh, wow. mm-hmm. it was just, uh, I had no idea how long we would ha- you know, be out. And as a teacher, I was just like, yes, a week. I need a week <laughs> vacation. I remember being super excited to have this time at home because um, it had been an unusual year in the classroom where my student level uh, load had gotten pretty big. So I had uh, seven different classes with 35 kids in each class. And wow, which is a lot. And I was, you know, I think as a teacher, if you're a mom too, there's a constant pull where if you do well in the classroom, you turn around and you look at your house and you're like, yikes, (laughs) no wonder I'm having such a great day at school. I haven't swept the floor. (laughs) Right, right. There's that pull. Yes. And so I was feeling that heavy. And so I just kind of sat down that one week when I was thinking, oh, good, a little break from school (laughs) that turned into be a a very long COVID break. But, um, but yeah, and so I was pulling up some of my most stressful moments. I guess that's what it was. Well, it's a really fun piece because (laughs) at least for me anyway, I could feel the energy and sort of the, mm, what's the, not frantic, but just, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's like this person is really trying to do a great job and they are kind of stressed to limit and it starts off real fun. Mm -hmm. And then you just got a got a good humor in here 
Um, yes. It's a fun piece. You did a great job with it. Thank you. Uh, I definitely went through many versions of it. And I remember the first time I had somebody read it, uh, some feedback I got was, I don't know, it doesn't sound like there's really much conflict in this story. Um, hmm. it, se- it seems like it's just somebody getting older who's having a hard time with life. And I just re- took that and I thought, like, isn't that enough? <laughs> 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 that itself is a story. Like, that's a lot. That's um, but so I tried to pull it together and... Um, so I had some fun doing revisions, and probably my best uh, critic with it was when I let my daughter read it. Uh, ah, one of my daughters read good. it, and that was fun to hear her take on it, uh, some of her thoughts about the story. So, yeah, Did she love it right yeah. off? Uh, I think I didn't end it with her in it, and um, she was kind of like, I, honestly, I think she probably said to me, geez, mom, you need to chill. And uh, <laughs> so I, that helped me come up with the ending. <laughs> well, I think the ending yeah. really ties it together. That's one of the things I really like about the piece is um, she starts kind of trying to get Zen, and at the end she gets Zen, and in, in a very personal way. I think it was great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You've said you did a little bit of research on this. So at the time, mm-hmm. so this is sort of based on a true story. At the time, you didn't really mm-hmm. know what was going on. So what did you find in your research, or how did you go about that? Yeah, I I had to look up. I was looking up magnets, heart, uh, wrist magnets to epilepsy, and because I, I didn't really know what I had been handed, mm-hmm. um, and even in my memory, I definitely searched some information out. And but then I, you know, I love my students uh, definitely, uh, and that's probably why I get I think a lot of stress about it is because I bring them home with me. And so I just remember thinking I needed to understand this more, and that the meeting I had gone through was gave me nothing. And I I, I honestly remember worrying about um, everything I signed because you signed so many documents. And so um, that I don't even remember what it's called now, Vegas nerve stimulator or whatever. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. and I remember the difference being like, you don't need to use it on every seizure, just if it's the ground. And I'm like, what is (laughs) How will I know when it's that? A lot of people have so much training when they deal with something like that, too. So that's completely overwhelming. And you capture that that sense of being overwhelmed, but the dedication to learn how to take care of it. And that's one of the things I love about the piece. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to do enough research that I that it made sense if somebody had it that I hadn't gotten the information wrong. But I still kind of wanted to keep the I generally don't know what I'm doing feeling in there. Yes. You did Which, well. I guess that. I guess I'm good at polishing that moment of uh, being a little confused. <laughs> you captured it in a way we just we could feel with you. We could relate. Uh, did you learn anything about yourself when you were writing this piece? When you, yes. you visited a past event and now you're you're kind of thinking about growing as a teacher. You think you pulled anything and were surprised? I, I was surprised that when, as I shared the story with a couple more friends at the amount of people who thought, you know, like there's really not, she's doing a good job. People kept saying about the character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I share it with my friends, I'm like, this is fiction. Right. <laughs> Very quick to say, not everything in here is what I believe. And, uh, but, but definitely my friends are like, no, no, I see a lot of you in there. And so <laughs> I was surprised when my friends are like, yeah, but she's doing okay. She's got it together. And, you know, I just think this time of, uh, this past year when it's been a tricky, busy year, I think we've kind of visited um, the mental health of the nation and people. 
And as a teacher, I'm very much aware of helping the mental health of my students. I always have been. It's something I'm concerned with, their physical and, you know, mental security in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, But it kind of reminded me as I wrote the piece that maybe I needed to take care of my own mental health in the classroom. And yeah. uh, or in my home, in my life. And since then, I, I feel like I'm in a better place. I switched jobs. I'm now teaching English again instead of French. Um, I have a smaller classroom. And uh, of course, it's been a hard year no matter what. But I did. it was a neat reminder in the reflection of the story that I, I have to take care of myself, whether it be buying a goldfish or just, <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, allowing myself to breathe at home a little bit more. Let go. And that. and also I wanted to learn that it's okay to get mad. Like I have a hard time letting my characters that I write misbehave. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I feel guilty when they say things they shouldn't. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I just kind of told myself that if it's okay for her to do that, then it's going to be okay for me one or two times to have something, you know, happen that I'm not that proud of. I, sure. It's okay. Yeah. That's terrific. So it's kind of healing. Yeah. We all it's have those moments. Yeah. Yeah. So because I guess we had this sort of period of no school for a while and the whole mm-hmm. COVID situation, have you been able to write more or is it affected you in a way that you're, that's hit your creativity? Because I know that in some authors that we've mm-hmm. talked to, at least initially, you know, some people took off and they wrote a lot and others were sort of just shut down by the overwhelmingness of it all. Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely the first response was, I'm writing. I wrote a play Great. about COVID. I wrote, I've never written a play before. That's um, it's, it's never been published anywhere. But anyway, sure. I wrote a lot. And, and poetry, I was trying different genres. And over the summer, a lot of writing. And then once school started, and it, now it, I have had a classroom that is um, simultaneously uh, virtual and live. Oof. Oh, wow. So I'm just, you know, had to throw all my energy into becoming, you know, a Zoom semi-expert and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, all those different things that, so I haven't been writing, but I've, I've always been a little of that where I push and then I let go and push and let go. So I feel like I'm on the release and I can see summer coming. It's uh, spring break and today's really my first day of spring break. So oh, yeah. maybe we'll get back into the writing again. Yeah. So that's when you write. You write when you have breaks from school. You take advantage mm-hmm. of those little those little moments in your busy year. Honest, too. At the beginning of the day, you know, I'm out the door by 7 a.m. in the mornings, but I often set my alarm for 4.45, and nice. I come to my computer, and I've been doing more editing right now. That's why I didn't mention that uh, first, like just kind of rereading what I've written and reading other pieces. But I, I like yeah. to have, you know coffee for an hour or so with me staring at my writing and the craft of it anyway, either reading, writing, or editing. So I do make time for it. But That's great. Well, you and Melissa yeah. are on the same page in that regard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm an early riser. I love to write in the morning. Yes. And the morning's the best. If it's, if it's past 11, I'm like, well, I'm not writing today. Yeah, <laughs> same. All my, all my good thoughts have flown away by then. <laughs> I know. And the, one of the worst things is if you, you don't get to get everything done. I have to stop at a certain time because I got to take care of my kiddos. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, I'll come back to this later. Well, you'd never have the same momentum if you get stopped. Mm-hmm. At least I don't. And then at night, I'm like, okay, I'll pick that back up. You get back and then... It's like, I'm just so tired. I can't put 
sentences together. So you have to capture those moments when you feel good. Yes. And I, you know, sometimes I'll have that phrase that's running through my head that I just want to get out. And then, and so that's when, if I can remember that and do it in the morning, then I can build from things so easy. And I don't have to think about where it's going. It just kind of happens naturally. Yeah. Um, but I do like to space out the writing too. You know, I think it's okay sometimes if I, um, I feel like I'm still writing in my head, even if I haven't been back to the computer sometimes for, mm, yeah. for a day or two. Sometimes words just kind of like dip into my, like my mind over, you know, repeatedly. And they're there until I put them down and I have those little clippets. I'm like, what was that for? I don't know. <laughs> Tell us more about those. Is that more of a, like a character talking about something or do you like hear a conversation yeah. in your head that you want to get on paper or is it an idea that you want to need to flesh out? Uh, it's usually an idea that I'm trying to flesh out and then some words or like a metaphor or an image. Um, you know, lately, for example, I've been thinking of this idea that it's really neat. You know, we always talk about how your kids are like you and, you know, mm -hmm. but I've been yeah. thinking like, what about if, um, I, and the things that I like to do aren't really me, but are from my kids. So like mm -hmm. this back backwards, like DNA, like right. it comes from my daughter's DNA showing up in me because I used to love horses and I am terrified of them now. Don't want to do anything with them. But it was wow. seemed very important for me to to when I was ten. I remember like like I just had these like visions that um, I don't mean like a real live vision, but I always I loved mm -hmm. horse horses, and it was like yeah. I felt like they were going to be a huge part of my life. And now that I'm here and I live on a horse farm, my husband's a <laughs> trainer. Like I don't want anything to do with them, but my daughter is a hundred percent into that. And so that I want to I want to pursue this idea that time moves backwards and that you have your kids' ancestors in our sh and like my kids' kids. Like, what if there's something in me right now coming out? Anyway, so I get an idea and I run with it like that and I think that's complex. I don't know how I'm going to explain that into a poem or a story. Mm -hmm. So if I can find a trace of it in something, I'll be like, ah, and I'll write that down. That's I great. Like that. mm -hmm. I like that you keep it in your head too. If I relied on keeping an idea in my head, I would lose it because every time I think, Oh, this is a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down later. It's gone. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't ever bring it back. So uh, it's awesome I, that it keeps talking to you. I think that's a talent. Yeah. Well, I like how you said that. Keeps talking to you because that's what it yeah. is. It's just like yeah. yeah. It's like don't forget me. <laughs> that's funny. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the writers we'll have on the show here in the future, his approach was different. He just wrote everything down, which. You know, I think it's also a good idea. But I know Millis and I both talk about Stephen King a lot because we like him and his mm -hmm. own writing book. But um, of yeah. one of the things that he says in that book is that he thinks it's a horrible idea to write it all down because he thinks you, he calls it memorializing bad ideas. If you remember, yeah. <laughs> but he's like, if it stay, if it keeps talking to you in your head, which is what yours are doing, you know, then it's mm -hmm. working. So yeah. I don't know, it's probably somewhere in the middle. There aren't a lot of writers like him out in the world. So that's yeah. true. Yeah. He's unique. <laughs> Definitely. Um, on that topic, so you don't write during the school year, but there's got to be like tons of story fodder in your day-to-day -day life with these kids. Yeah, so are you, yeah. do you have a journal that you jot down some things during, during something? Because I could just totally see that just this moment happening in class, pulling out a little notebook and you're just like, hang on a minute, kids, let me write this down. <laughs> I got to gotta make it. Sometimes, I mean, I, I do, I don't have one go-to notebook or one place, you know, or anything, but but yeah, things that happen in the classroom, they just make great stories. They really oh, yeah. do. And, um, and I, 
I I talk a lot, and when I came home, when I come home at night, I I tell the story to to my kids, to my mom and dad, to my sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I once I've said it out loud, then it's uh, memorable. So again, I just keep it in my head. That's terrible, but um, I'm so jealous. Of but that. maybe that's why that my character talent. in my book. <laughs> that's my thing. Is like I always have something in my brain that's just like running through. Like remember that story. So. Hmm. But lots, lots of things in the classroom, and definitely this year is has been such an interesting year that I have felt mm-hmm. um, like I want to return to this year. But I really want to give it space. You know, I need to buffer this year, and yeah. um, I'm sure that I could find some value if I if I wrote more in in a journal about what the moments were like in you know this year in the classroom. So that's probably something I need to do more. <laughs> so when you would t- say return to this year, you mean to write about kind of the, some of the experiences and yeah, oh, okay. I think yeah. I've looked at a lot of uh, contests or uh, calls for writers to talk yeah. about this year and this moment that we're in, and um, not just COVID, you know, but the moment of our nation and um, people fighting for their voices and you know wanting yeah. to be a part of movements and stuff and. I feel like I'm too in it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, as, yeah. as a teacher, you have to um, be careful about how you say things to yeah, a classroom yeah. of kids. And so sometimes that feeling of guarding my my voice in the classroom can have a negative effect, I think, on my writing when I try to write about topics that I feel strongly about because I'm used to kind of masking some things for mm-hmm. the yeah. students and um, – just to keep a job <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to stay safe. Um, so anyway, so I like to give myself, uh, or I have recently been thinking, I, I need more space. I need more distance from that moment before I go back in to talk about it. Um, because then I forget the, the borders that I've put up. I can, right. And I can cross the boundary. Because that's when writing gets good, right? When you're pushing past the boundaries and being really uh, clear with your thinking and real honest in the writing and i don't think i'm honest enough in the moment plus you'll get some perspective right so when you're in it it's hard to see i mean you can write about what you're experiencing but it's hard to see the overall effect you know like the Mm -hmm. zooming out factor yeah right Mm -hmm. that's true yeah yeah interesting well do you have from this particular story do you have a favorite part that you when you were writing you were like oh this is just i love this (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, I generally, I say I have, I generally have low writing esteem, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I I do like the, the fish, the fish (laughs) was fun. Like I actually have on my uh, classroom, on my whiteboard in my classroom, I don't know where it even came from, except I'm sure from a student because sometimes that's just how things arrive in your room and you don't know where they're from. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, a picture of a goldfish in a bowl and it's kind of, it's transparent. Like you could, if you hold your, if you held the picture up in front of your face, you could see th- through it. Hmm. Um, but anyway, it's put up on my board there and I kind of made him my class pet and Oh, I like that. And so that image is there, and it's not even a real fish, um, but I've, I've all, I like that image. He's your zen of. fish. Yeah, maybe where that came from in the story even. I love uh, it. But also the poem in the bathroom, because that was true. That was 100% true, that there's a, a poem hanging in the teacher bathroom, like, you got this day or something like that. 
and every time I go in there, I, I want to change the poem or put in a new one or something, but it was there all year. Like, so. I already got that concept. Give yes. me something new. I need more. If you're going to inspire me, <laughs> we need a rotating chalkboard yeah. or something <laughs> that's fun well my favorite part of the the part that i enjoyed the most was the um sort of the principal um you know the gathering in the small room sort of relaying this information kind of just <laughs> dropping it on the teacher and, and then walking away and the teacher's kind of <laughs> like wait but wait you know and um yeah I, I just thought that was so true it felt like you've gone through that you know <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely definitely when i you show up to your IEP meeting and everything's classified and you just sit down and you feel like everyone knows something and you don't even know what you're there in the meeting yeah. for. So that feeling, there's just this, that's teaching. That, that's teaching. You show up for something new every day. You don't really know what's going to be on your plate. And yeah. so look around. And, and I do think voices of uh, teachers aren't heard very often in our world. Yeah. Like, like the only person who would want to read that story maybe is a teacher is what I worry. And, oh, and I feel great. like I always, well, thank you. <laughs> but I, I definitely want my students' stories to be heard. And so I try to be authentic. And if I'm, I'm telling them, use your voice, share what you're, you know, what the things yeah. that you go through, then I feel like, okay, I gotta be authentic here. I need to be doing the same thing. And I think sometimes parents, you know, don't realize that, you know, I have, my daughters are 15. So I have high school students, I have to turn around and go in as a parent to a teacher conference right? and I try to remember that situation and I just feel like I'm not sure parents really understand how many individualized cases we're hearing. I have a hundred and you know, 35 to 170 students per year and you've been teaching 23 years. That's a lot of people I've known. Oh, yeah. um, it's for a teacher to, to keep things straight. You know, it, it's a lot, but mm. Is. And you have a huge responsibility as a teacher. You're, you know, what what is that phrase where the kids of tomorrow are learning mm -hmm. from you today? Something like mm -hmm. that. I don't think that's yeah. the quote, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can make it one. That's how yeah, it's I'm butchering <laughs> that, but there's, here's my own. Right. <laughs> I like it. We, we should write that one down. <laughs> but yeah, I think a teacher's job is so important. And you're in front of kids you have their ear for so many hours in a day and showing them that and then seeing the other side of someone's profession. I know in the medical field, you know, the patients don't get to see what the providers are going through. And so they might get angry. Right. And that's where, that's where I come from. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I can totally relate. So in the teacher's part of things, there's so much that we as parents or just the general public don't know mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. pressure is put on you and how all you have to follow all these rules. You have all these mm -hmm. temperaments of these kids. It's fascinating, but it's a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they, I mean, you have to keep your patience and you have to keep your, um, yeah, it's, it's a professionalism that ha has to be come from the classroom and, and Work, well, yeah. one thing yeah. that I think would be <laughs> awesome to come out of this pandemic is that we reevaluate our essential workers, you know what I mean, and their mm -hmm. yeah. their pay, their importance mm -hmm. to our society and their value. I just think that mm -hmm. teachers, you know, grocery store workers, yeah. I, I mean, there are folks that are, quote unquote, invisible in a way, and yet they're so yeah. critical. And it, and it was made obvious, right? <laughs> you know? yeah, and yet absolutely. I just hope yeah. that I hope that we figure that out and now address that yes. in some form or fashion. I agree. I, so I agree. Yeah, it would be one of the one of the positives to come from the the hard time there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
So I'm going to transition a little bit and talk about with all this time that you have spending writing, teaching, do you, what do you read? Do you have time to read? I know they say that if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Yes. So tell me, when, when do you read? What do you read? I read all the time because um, I'm, especially this year, for example, I'm back in the English classroom, left front. So I have, I'm always looking for a, a new lesson, a new idea. I teach advanced placement uh, language. So right. articles, speeches. This year, um, I reread What to the Slaves of the Fourth of July by Frederick Douglass. And like, oh, yes, this is so good. Yeah. And I just want to bring us, I brought that into the classroom, um, you know, aligned it with things that are happening in current events. And then um, Thoreau, I love Thoreau because I'm a farmer and, yeah. um, you know, and I grow things and, uh, and that's what I do in the classroom is I grow minds. So I, I just read all the time because that's what I'm bringing to school. So my career yeah. this year has helped, you know, provide me for that, uh, provide time for me to do that in the mornings. Again, uh, yeah. that's what that hour I really try to, I count the reading hours as hours working towards the writing. I, I do agree oh, with you. Like the two go hand in hand. Definitely. Um, I can read in the evenings. And so like when, yeah. uh, I can't write, but I want to work on my writing, then I read. Yeah. Although my eyesight's gotten worse this year with <laughs> all of <laughs> the computer. I've, yeah. I've got every, everything blue that I can find because I'm like, oh, Lord, don't take that from me if I need this. <laughs> I have to be able to see these words. So I'm getting all my blue glasses and I'm, I'm going to invest. I don't know if they have blue lens contacts. If so, I'm going to get them. <laughs> oh, you mean the blue light filter. <laughs> the blue okay, light, yeah, yeah, yeah. because <laughs> just teating digitally, sharing the, staring at the screen more so, you know, than... Oh, yeah. When you want to write, you come back to the screen, and I'm like, oh, ah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I do do a lot of reading in in the evenings as well. I love yeah. it. You're around words all day. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> words, that's words, true. words. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, reading at night. I do that. I can. I go through phases of reading at night, but it's too problematic. And that if I'm in, I'm really into a story, then I stay up. You know what I mean? Like I, I just. My self-control on like a, you know, a part of a story, I want to keep turning the pages. It's yes. too hard to put down. Yeah. And then yeah. I end up sacrificing sleep. But <laughs> Yeah. I do have my, my best friend. Um, she is amazing. And in the mornings, I talk to my sister, my best friend. I have about 45-minute drive into work. And my friend and I, we will talk. Uh, and I can send her like three lines from a random book that and she knows nothing about. And her response is always like, yes. Those were, and so having somebody in my life that I can just point to this, like this little spot, no matter what the book, like when I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. These are the words. And it could be um, about raising kids or it could be about um, needing peace or it could be about politics. And she's always right there with me. So having somebody I can sound off like that too is super helpful about when I read. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, That's such great. a confidence boost too, to have yeah. somebody who you can bounce ideas off of and who is supportive of you. That's, mm-hmm. That is a huge deal. It really is. She's amazing. I love that. And my sister too. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, so we noticed in your bio that you've been published internationally for some poetry. Do you um, mm-hmm. write a lot of poetry or do you have a preference between poetry and prose? I write poetry most often, probably because it's what it's short, and so you can have more time to do it. Hmm. Um, I think I can get going, and whereas 
even when my short stories that I've written, I, I almost do like the first draft in one setting because I just feel like I have to get it out. And so with a poem, I can do it in the amount of time that I have mm-hmm. and then go back and chunk it and rework it, you know, a lot of times, all the while considering the entire piece. And so I, I kind of, I guess I work holistically like that. I frame my pieces in the beginning and the end. You can see it in the story, I think. Like they just have, I have to have a connection through it. So I do prefer to write poetry um, and hmm, stories are new for me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I've heard a lot lately that poetry really influences the way we write and mm-hmm. that you can have that sentence structure and how it flows can give you a much a more beautiful prose um, when mm-hmm. you're writing and inspire um, a, a language that just pulls you into the page. So I really like that. I do this exercise even with my students where I, um, I guess the first draft maybe I write of a poem is generally me telling a story, but kind of poetically, it still looks like a poem on a page, but it reads very smoothly and then go back and cut, 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 delete, delete, mm-hmm. delete, delete make it as short as you can. And so one of my favorite assignments is to give my high school students, like after we've read um, something like a powerful story, maybe a Hemingway piece um, or shooting an elephant. I think we did it with 1984 um, author, uh, Eric Blair. And we, I say, okay, you liked this story. You know what the theme is. We've talked about you know, the words that they use that are powerful. Now walk away, rewrite that story as a poem. And, and so that gives them that idea. And I think it's just a great writing tool. So I try to do that and mirror in my own, mirrored in my own writing too. And then do it in reverse. I go back and I take a poem that is super small and tight. And I say, where's my story and my poem in it? So I kind of work with one moment in time and one piece and push it a couple different ways to decide, would it better be told in this format or this format? So yeah, that's great. A, pretty cool. I like it to do that as like a writing practice because uh, then you're not always like, hmm, what should I write about today? I, d- I, I don't really have writer's block. I, I sometimes might write something that's not, I mean, a lot of times I write things that I'm not like over, you know, head over heels about, but I don't stare for a long time at a white page. I just take other things and transform and keep thinking. That's true. How it would look best. Yeah. Well, it keeps anyway. keeps the um, the prose flowing, I guess, or the poetry I guess, flowing. Yeah, I'm going to try. That's good. Yeah. That. Well, yeah. believe it or not, we're coming close on time already. Uh, Melissa, oh, do you have yeah. a question you want to throw in before we get to our last question? Well, I think one thing, you being a teacher and having a lot of people to influence and being an author, you know you're influencing mm-hmm. as a writer as well. So it's two ways to influence sure. people around you. What is something you would just love to hear from one of your readers that mm. you did for them? So like they would walk away after having read my piece? Yeah, they read your piece and they felt this way or this inspired mm. my life in such and such a way. What would be like mm. your, your ultimate piece where as a writer you would be like, this is why I write because somebody said this thing to me. I hope uh, that the readers of my pieces are encouraged um, and that they find strength in themselves and that maybe that maybe in some of the characters they might see, you know, themselves and that I liked that thought, I guess, that I heard people say, like, she's doing a pretty good job. And to, to walk away and think, hey, maybe I'm doing a pretty good job. At least I'm better than this character. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
or something like that. Um, you know, just so that they, I, I would like to, I like to encourage people. And I, I guess to encourage people to, maybe not from this particular piece, um, but I would like to encourage people to take a step and try something they're wanting to do that they have, that they're self-conscious about or that they're not really proud of or sure that they're good at. Um, yeah, encourage people in that way. That's great. Well, but it's a good thing you're a, a teacher. Take a breath and go. That all yeah. fits together. Yeah, right. Well, that's good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so then I guess our last question is, um, would you like to share kind of a piece of writing advice? Um, so you've been on this journey for a little while. Maybe you could share something that you would have liked to have known when you started. Hmm. I guess advice was given to me uh, that I should start collecting rejection letters. Hmm. And... Uh, I thought, no, I'm going to start submitting my writing, <laughs> see if I can get it accepted somewhere. And, um, and this, I was corrected to say, no, start collecting rejection letters so that you take the, um, I guess, the negativity away from someone telling you, like, oh, the story's not for our magazine. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because that was daunting for me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, but yeah, when I heard that from, I don't know if I read it or if a friend told it to me, but definitely um, my friend and I talk about it now. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I should be hanging up all my rejection letters all over this room um, and find inspiration of them. I, I still, I'm not that good yet. I, I put yeah. the re rejection <laughs> letters away and I'm like, I'm back at it. But, um, but well, just, that's what I would share. <laughs> they do. I've got a they whole do. long list. Like, they can remind goodness, you thanks. anytime. Yeah, so. just yeah. open up that screen and take a look at it. Yeah, <laughs> so I just that'd be my advice. Would be like, just go ahead, think of it as a collection, and try to look at it not as um, like, oh, I'm going to be published. You know, I'm going to find a way. Like, then when you don't achieve it right away, it, it, you can feel um, you know kind of poor about your skills. But if you just remember, you're just putting it out there. You got to find the right readers. Mm -hmm. You had to find the right audience. Have you read all these magazines that you're submitting it to? No, you haven't. Right. So right. of course not. Get, right. dig back in, and it's okay to be rejected. It's okay to just accept that. It, it and is. it's not. It's not me. The rejecting. Yeah. It's what I wrote one day. Yeah, exactly. that's great. Well, so. that's really good advice. It is. Thank you. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. And uh, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to have okay. you on. Thank you for submitting. And we're really excited to get your piece uh, out thank there you. into the world. I, I want right. to say real quickly, Melissa, I, I, when I heard that I could have you read the book, the work, or I could read it on my own, I went online to listen to your voice and I thought, oh, I like her. And I listened to some <laughs> stories that you did, one that you had written, and I was impressed by your work. So I just want to say... Um, I, I love this opportunity. Thank you very much. It's been exciting. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to you reading my work. So There's I think nothing you, like yeah. hearing somebody else read your piece. You get a whole different feel for it. So I'm so excited to have read it, and it, it's been a treat for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great. <laughs> we, we're, we're very happy with Melissa doing that for us. She's got that reader's voice. She does. She does. I might have you, you zoom into my classroom one day and have you uh, yeah. teach for me, too. Well. <laughs> Great. Right. Thanks so it. much. Okay. Thanks, Thank Melissa. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends, giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app, 
Or better yet, shout it from the rooftops through your social media outlet of choice. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash Onyx Publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new stories to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story for consideration, visit the submissions page on our website. Until next time, keep reading and writing.